welcome to another recording episode for Determination, Deliberation, and Dragons. This is Julie Wilson, and I will be narrating Story 8 in the Pana and Wave Skimmer Saga, Book 1. Story 8. Continuation. Mist swirled around the boat, obscuring everything beyond a few feet past one's nose. It rose and fell, almost appearing to be slightly different shades of gray, depending on elevation. As it moved around the boat, it deposited droplets of water on the hull, rendering the boat reflective and, more important, slippery. Accustomed to the ice, this wasn't an issue for Pana and Wave Skimmer, but not everyone was so lucky. I'm too old for this! grumbled MC as Pana helped her back to her feet after slipping for the fifth time. It didn't help that her nose was constantly buried in a map, sometimes multiple maps along with a book, even as she walked around the deck. No matter how many times she was told not to walk and read, she continued to do it. Pana refrained from telling her off yet again, and instead asked about the map while scooping up everything MC had dropped in her fall. How goes your work? Oh, fine, fine. I think I pinpointed exactly where the first weapon should be based on the map you drew from your vision and my own maps as reference points. Based on the topography, I have a few ideas of where it may or may not be. There are a number of factors when considering the landscape why a weapon would be built in a certain location, but I'll explain it to you once everyone is together. Normally stoic, her mouth twitched into what may have been a smile. It didn't particularly suit her. Pana helped keep MC from slipping a few more times as they made their way to where the captain stood at the stern of the boat. A table had been set up, around which Lyke, Bob, and Tally stood. Wave Skimmer approached and rested his head in an empty spot next to Lyke, who, at this point, knew that the only people allowed to touch him were Pana and the various children on board who couldn't help but clamber on top of him whenever they got the chance. She nodded to the dragon, bidding him a good morning. He nodded in reply. MC walked towards Lyke's other side, for which Pana was grateful, and dropped the maps on the table. Hmm, nope, MC said, sweeping some of the maps off the table. Three remained behind, one being the map Pana had marked the locations of all the weapons on as they had appeared in their vision, while the other two appeared to have been drawn by MC herself. Everyone crowded around the table to get a better view of the maps. So, tell us what we got here, said Bob. MC combed through her hair and then placed her hands on the table. As we all know, the map of the various locations of the different weapons was made by Pana based on their vision of the same map. They were able to mark the general location of the weapon, but I had to narrow it down to a more precise spot. Pana, I'm sure, marked the map as accurately as they could, but even the best of maps have a little distortion or some inaccuracies. I checked my topographical maps of the region, and the location that Pana marked, she pointed to the most detailed of the maps, has a few interesting features. Look here at the spot near the water. There are plenty of sinkholes, most of which aren't all that wide, though certainly they are deep, but I very much doubt anyone would put a weapon in a great big hole. Getting into and out from the hole would be a logistical nightmare. So, if one were to make a secret world-devastating weapon, where would be the best place to hide it? Asked Tally. MC pointed at one of the few locations that was free of markings. A few rings surrounded it, but not much else. There. It isn't very large, but that is a plateau. 
The rings show different elevations, see? It rises really steeply, and then it stops. The top is super flat. Not a bad vantage point to see the surrounding area. And the forest around it is dense, so no one would really stumble upon it too easily. The sinkholes are a whole different issue, incidentally one that we will have to watch out for. But they would have kept large groups of people from moving in on the weapon. And there aren't any ruins nearby, from what I can tell. So I don't think too many people were, were around who would have just stumbled upon it. Wouldn't you remember seeing ruins if you made the map? Asked Like. Do you remember what you did three years ago today in the mid-morning? I don't rely on my memory. I rely on my maps. And these maps show no ruins. Pana nodded to himself, thinking. It seemed like finding the weapon would be straightforward. Figuring out how to deactivate it would be the difficult part. They weren't the only one thinking that. To their side, Wave Skimmer let out a low whine. Everyone looked at him and Pana. Pana could tell they were all wondering how this mission of theirs would be completed. They wished they could tell them. So, Pana said, taking their time. I've been thinking. In my vision, I saw the woman who gave us the stone. And she said that we can use it to help destroy the weapons. Bob interjected. But how do you use it? Are you sure that it will work? If only they could give a different answer. I don't know. And no. When it stopped the wave from destroying the port, it did that all on its own. I don't know how. And every other time it saved our lives, it did so without us really knowing or trying to use it. So, it might work. But I don't know that for sure. I don't even know if we should try to find this weapon. We may get there and accidentally set it off. But there's also a chance that we can figure out how to get rid of it for good. And I think we should take that chance. Even if I don't know for certain that we'll succeed. If everyone at that table decided to back out, Pana would have understood. They still had so many doubts themselves. Why should this be their responsibility? How could they even accomplish such a feat while making sure they didn't make things worse? They began to shake, and only managed to stop by wrapping their arms around Wave Skimmer and holding him close. They knew what their father would say. When the choice is between doing something for someone, or hoping that the issue will be resolved all by itself, there is no choice. A day ago, Pana may have said no. Today, they hoped they wouldn't have to face it alone. Like looked at Pana, their eyes locking for only a moment before both of them looked away. We'll go with you, Like said. Whatever happens, we'll be there. The rest of the group snapped their fingers in assent. As for how we're going to take it out, let's do our best to observe and figure out how it works before we do anything. All right. Pana nodded. Sounds good to me. MC navigated the ship through the mist, somehow knowing exactly where the land would appear. With her help, Like managed to dodge most of the rocks with only a minimum amount of damage, which Bob could always patch up later. Along the way, they had dropped off all the other passengers aside from the sailors who were needed to keep the boat functioning. The halls of the cabin were eerily quiet after having been filled with families talking and children laughing. There was no longer any need to move to the side to allow someone to pass from the opposite direction. Pana walked to the room they had been staying in to make sure they hadn't left anything behind. Only one bag lay beneath the bed they had occupied. Pana picked it up and opened it, checking to see what was inside. It was their light coat that they had worn back in the village on those rare occasions when the sun was out and the cold wasn't unbearable. 
Their father had made it from Yorbeck fur and given it to them on one such day when the sun happened to be breaking through the mostly ever-present clouds. There was no special significance to it, no sentimentality attached to it. That day hadn't been unique or noticeable in any meaningful way. He had just decided that he wanted to make his child a coat, saying that he had the fur on hand as well as the time. When one has the means to do something for someone else, one does it. It had always been that way for him, and that was why Panna felt so bad about letting him and the whole village down. Today would not see a repeat of the hunting incident. They would be careful. As long as they watched what they were doing, there would be no collateral damage. Panna stuffed the coat back into the bag and walked out onto the deck. The rest of the party was already ready, carrying whatever equipment they might need to explore the forest and scale the plateau. Bob had been in charge of preparing everyone to find the weapon, leaving Panna to see what else they could learn about the stone. They hadn't learned much, but they had been surprised when they noticed that the coloration of the stone was slightly different. It was still blue, but now there was a vague hint of green within it. Additionally, the shape of the stone had changed yet again. It still retained its circular center, though it now had wide spokes poking out along a single plane. Try as they might, they couldn't figure out what it meant. Everyone checked in one last time, affirming their intent to go with Panna before walking down the boat ramp and onto the rocky shore. It had been so long since Panna had walked on solid land. They felt the earth move beneath them, lurching forward as they tried to move one foot in front of the other. After one particularly misplaced step, Panna only managed not to fall when Lyke grabbed the back of their shirt. Thanks, said Panna, not quite meeting Lyke's eyes. I didn't realize being on a boat for so long would make walking on land a challenge. Like nodded. Land lovers. What? Oh, it's just an expression. People say funny things sometimes. Not exactly sure what the lovers part is. But the land is self-explanatory. At least, I think it is. Wave Skimmer wasn't having any problem walking. If he had been a different dragon, he would have made fun of Panna, but he just scooped them onto his head and placed them on his back. Thanks, friend. It's good to know you can carry the two of us. The group walked from the shore and into the nearby forest. A few shrubs and saplings grew in gaps between the rocks, but a solid line of trees formed the true boundary between the two landscapes. Panna recognized a few of the trees. There were slicers with their thin leaves and caracs laden with cones, but the vast majority of them were unfamiliar. They grew in clumps, intertwining with one another. All manner of creatures hopped and slithered through tunnels of branches far overhead. Most patches of forest were too dense for Wave Skimmer to pass through, but in time the group found a pathway that he could navigate as long as he held his wings close to his body. Distinguishing where exactly they were proved challenging, even for MC. She led them through the forest, circling back every so often while muttering at her map. Once, she seemed to be unsure of where to go and hurled the map on the floor. Pana stepped towards her, but Bob held out his arm, saying, Give her a minute. She'll be fine. After a moment, she picked the map up and began to walk through the forest again, as if nothing had happened. How much further? asked Tally after two hours of marching. We should be nearing the plateau in a moment. Nearly there, nearly there, said MC. She pushed a branch out of her path, took a step forward, and disappeared into the ground. Sinkhole! cried Bob. Pana and Wave Skimmer ran forward. The hole itself wasn't particularly large. About 20 feet below ground, MC had grabbed onto a tree root and was hanging there, dangling a few feet above the ground. 
She had just managed to trap the map she had been holding between her feet. MC looked up at Pana. I wouldn't mind being pulled up now, thank you very much. From inside his own pack, Bob pulled out a rope and uncoiled it. He threw one end to MC and gave the other to Wave Skimmer, who grabbed it in his mouth and pulled the cartographer out of the hole. She patted Wave Skimmer on the head, which he allowed. She turned to the rest of the group and said, You all really need to be more careful if you want to make it to the plateau, and then walked deeper into the forest. The plateau appeared without any warning. Though no one could see the top through the trees, MC assured them that the near-vertical slope was indeed what they were looking for. Pana moved their hand over the loose rocks, making up the plateau's side, causing a number of them to slide down the slope. There were smaller rocks mixed in between larger boulders. Most of them were a darker gray color. One particular rock was small and light. Holes were scattered throughout it. Volcanic rocks! That's what most of these are, explained MC. These holes are formed when gas escapes. This rock cooled relatively fast. Larger crystals typically indicate slow cooling times. Most of the rocks here are volcanic. Everyone looked at her blankly. What is volcanic? Asked Like. These rocks. N no, I, I mean, what is a volcanic? What does that mean? After a brief and unsatisfying explanation, Pana and Waveskimmer agreed that they would have to get a look at one of these volcanoes in order to see what MC was talking about. The group began the climb to the top of the plateau. Finding a place to put their feet was challenging, as every step seemed to dislodge more rocks and create a small avalanche. Ten steps forward included at least eight steps back. It was even harder for Pana, who still only had the use of one arm. Though their shoulder was healing nicely, it was nowhere near ready for rock scrambling like this. If not for the trees, Wave Skimmer would have flown them all to the top. Once the tree line did end, the rocks were too precarious to allow anyone to confidently climb onto the dragon. And Wave Skimmer didn't want to take off for fear of causing a larger rock slide and burying his companions. So, the rest of the trip up the slope was conducted on foot. In time, they reached the snow-covered top, exhausted and soaked with perspiration. Pano lay on their back on a flat rock, breaching the snow a short distance from the edge. Wave Skimmer padded over and touched his nose to Pana's. We got to the top, they said. Now we just need to figure out how to destroy the weapon. We're almost there. From somewhere to their right, they heard Like groan. So, I know we thought the weapon would be here in this general location, but it's not. What? said Pana, turning over and looking at Like. Behind the captain was only a flat and empty plane. While she generally tried to avoid thinking about the day that she had left the village to follow Apana, Vare couldn't always help keeping every trace of the memory from her mind. As she recalled it, everyone gathered in the village center. Icicles were sharpened and passed out to all those who would be joining the new hunt to avenge their murdered friends and family members. No one had seen how Pana had accomplished the task, but a year after that grisly event, Pana had been spotted with one of the monstrous dragons. Earlier today, after Pana had been discovered talking with the beast, they had been seen being carried by the dragon heading south. For the first time in living memory, a party of villagers prepared to leave their home in pursuit of the murderous dragon and the one human who had caused so much pain. Together, they would avenge all those slain by the dragons that Pana had awakened. The village only survived by standing together. And today, they would stand against the one who had brought so much pain. 
Vare slipped out of the group, telling a semi-familiar villager named Kai that she had forgotten something. She made her way to the edge of the village to a small house. Most houses had curves in their structure. Ice was notoriously difficult to straighten, but the desire of this particular building leaned into the curves. The house rolled over the landscape like a wave, rising up and down and folding in on itself. Even the chimney ended five feet to the left of where it began. Music emanated from the house. Vare had been about to knock on the door but stopped herself. She listened to the sounds being strummed inside. The music was slow and thoughtful, as if every single note was made with intense deliberation. And then a voice joined in, just loudly enough to be heard if Vare pressed her ear to the door. She recognized the words as everyone in the village did. There were only a few stories about heroes. After all, who would be inspired by the icy landscape they all called home? But when everyone was young, they were all told the story of the hero Helen, who had saved all their ancestors during the cataclysm. The song detailed her life and her journey to the village. There was no true melody to the song. Rather, the story was spoken while anything could be played in the background. The voice had already finished the first part and was now singing about when Helen left the village. The peace to everyone's surprise lasted complete enduring. The people of the village survived. The people of the village laughed. We were safe and free. Helen smiled, delighted at all she saw, all that she had created, far from the destruction to the south. But her heart was troubled. The longer she stayed, the more she drew away. She had left the cataclysm far behind, but it had never left her. Children grew up in the village and had children of their own, but Helen disappeared, never to be seen again. To be alone out in the snow, is a fate no one should face but not everyone can stay in one place alone with their thoughts she brought peace to so many but not to herself so alone she left friendless Dispirited, yet leaving behind so many who love them, who owe their lives to them, and wish that they had stayed. The last three lines of the song had deviated from the usual narrative. Vare didn't have to wander too hard to know who Pana's father was singing about when he suddenly transitioned to using his child's pronouns instead of Helen's. Vare breathed in deeply and knocked on the door. The music faded. A bearded man calmly opened the door. His eyes were red, but he stood up straight and kept his face neutral. 
When he saw her, he relaxed, and his mouth fell into a pained grimace. Faray, he almost whispered. Have the others left yet? No, sir. They're all getting ready, packing rations and whatnot. Coats. She couldn't bring herself to tell him about all the icicles being sharpened to be used in the hunt for his child. He looked like he was about to break down. Please, he said. Please don't hurt them. You know they didn't do it on purpose. They would never hurt anyone. You know that. You are their friend. Sir, bring them home to me, please. Please bring them home. I don't know if I can. They hurt so many people during the hunting party incident. Kai's dad. Please don't hurt them. I'll... I'll try. It was the most she could say. Of course she didn't want to hurt her best friend. But when that friend is the reason dragons attack and kill other members of the community, surely that friend would have to answer to someone. Right now, Vare could side with her friend and run away, or she could hunt for them in the name of her fallen neighbors. She didn't know what the right answer was. She repeated, I'll try. He didn't seem entirely mollified by her statement, but he nodded to himself and backed away. He looked up once more. You know it was an accident, don't you? They would never hurt anyone on purpose. You know that. Vare, you know. A horn sounded back at the village center. The hunt had begun. Vare turned to go and then turned back to Pana's father. I know. There was no weapon at the top of the parateau, aside from the wind and the scorching sun. Even the mist had dissipated, taunting them by revealing the empty landscape. Pana looked around, but there was no indication of anything ever having been there. There were no statues, no crumbled buildings, not even any oddly colored rocks. The surrounding snow was uniformly spread out around the top of the plateau, showing no signs of any lumpy or out-of-place objects lying beneath it. Wave skimmer clawed through the snow, trying to find anything that might point them all in the right direction. Pana watched on. Had they really led their friends all the way out here for no reason? Was there truly nothing here? Everyone searched for an hour. Pana took a break near the edge of the plateau, looking out over the landscape. The sun was almost halfway across the sky, hanging directly over the group. They heard Like walking up behind them. Like seemed to be nervously scraping their foot along the snow-covered rocks. What is it, Like? they asked. The foot-scraping snow sound continued. There's nothing here. Like, nothing, nothing. Even more nothing than the middle of the bay. Nothing, nothing is a bit generous, chimed Bob, walking over along with Tally and MC. Can't find any sign of, well, anything ever being up here. Literally nothing. MC said, if we were going to find anything, we would have found it here. This is the only spot anyone could have built on despite the snow. You saw the forest? No one is lugging logs and equipment through that mess. The only other non-forested locations are those sinkholes. Unless the weapon is buried deep under the plateau or hidden somewhere, the only logical explanation is that Pana's vision was only ever a vision. What? Everyone looked at her. Wave skimmer snarled. But I saw something, too, when everyone on the boat fell asleep. We all saw something, even you, MC. You led us to that spot expecting to see an island, and Pana did see that island. 
Doesn't that count for something? Reasoned Howie. That was true, but MC dismissed it. They could have been thinking about islands for all we know. There's no way to prove that something was actually there without going underwater and finding the remains of that island. But we all went unconscious. We all had visions of something. The odds of it... It's okay, said Pana. They closed their eyes, counted to three, and opened them again. Maybe I was wrong. That's okay. Let's just head back. Wave Skimmer nudged their side with his head and looked around at the plateau top one more time. I'm, I'm sure. If there was something to find, we would have found it. Sometimes visions are just visions. It's no good dwelling on them or thinking that maybe there's any point to them at all. They had thought that they would be able to do something good for the world. Despite their earlier nervousness about possibly messing up yet again, they had come around on the idea that maybe this was a way to help the world. Apparently, that wasn't the case. Pana took out the stone. It was now a lighter, sickly green. The spokes had twisted into a number of different twisted yet rectangular spikes. At first glance, they all seemed to bend in random ways. But as Pana looked, they noticed that each spindle mirrored the one on the opposite side of the stone's center, exhibiting perfect symmetry. This was all well and good, but Pana had no idea what it all meant, if it even meant anything. Odd seemed good that it did not. They wanted to throw the stone off of the plateau and into the forest. They almost did. The stone went back into their pocket. Rather than climb back down, it was decided that Wave Skimmer would transport the humans in pairs back to the boat. Bob, Tally, and MC volunteered to stay behind and allow Pana and Leg to go first, no doubt giving Pana some room to disappear into the depths of the boat before the other three made it back if they so chose. The two of them climbed onto Wave Skimmer's back, like holding onto Pana's waist so as not to fall off, a fact that Pana wasn't so comfortable with in the moment. Once the passengers were settled, Wave Skimmer took off and headed back out to sea. It wasn't difficult to see where they were going from up here. The boat rocked out in the water not too far off. MC had largely led the group away from all the sinkholes, but now Pana could see them all. Many formed small clearings in the trees, just large enough for a dragon to fit comfortably into if it decided to fly there. There was one, however, that opened up like a sea of its own, cutting a hole with a diameter of at least two miles in the middle of the forest. Orange soil and rocks were piled along its rim, marking it as separate from the surrounding trees. Wave Skimmer roared and took them towards the sinkhole. Pana clutched onto the saddle, doing their best to hang to it while Light continued to grab onto them. When he reached the hole, Wave Skimmer stopped, hovering just above it, beating his wings slowly in front of him. Below them, the sinkhole's depths were obscured by a large metal structure suspended in its center. Rectangular supports emanated from the structure's circular center and stabbed into the sides of the hole. Pana dug out the stone from their pocket once more, glancing between it and the identical structure below them. That's it! We found the weapon! 